0: Our passage this morning uh, is from 1 Kings, chapter 18. We'll look at verses 1 to 16. Uh, as you're turning there or looking in a moment at the screen behind me, a uh, couple of thoughts. On one hand, we're going to continue in our series just like normal. On the other hand, uh, the reason I actually was drawn to this passage a few weeks ago was because it deals with fear. I want to give a little bit of background to what's happening with Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Right now we're looking at Elijah. Remember, he is a prophet whom God called to deal with the evil of Ahab. Ahab married Jezebel, and they took what was already idol worship, and they just uh, made it ten times worse. They brought in prophets um, I, I use the, the joke, they scaled it. You know, if you think about a business scaling, uh, it became everywhere and God had had enough. And so in comes Elijah in chapter 17, verse one, to basically say, look, we aren't going to have rain until I pray for rain. And then he disappears. And for three and a half years, nobody can find him. What we know from chapter 17 is that he starts out at the brook Cherith, and then he's with the widow and now in chapter 18, he reemerges. And so, what we're going to find is this interaction between Ahab and another prophet, Obadiah. And that's why we titled the sermon A Tale of Two Prophets. But when, you're, when a pastor is choosing the uh, texts, a lot of times this may be not chosen. The next thing that happens is Mount Carmel. Uh, maybe that would be, the, and we'll talk about that next Sunday. But when I read this, as I was preparing this uh, series, I was drawn to this interaction. And in light of what's going on right now, I think we are so aware of fear. And what we're gonna see in our passage is how Obadiah, who, who fears the Lord, that means he walks with God, how he really experiences his own fear. And I wanna invite us to do that this morning as well and to not be ashamed of our fear. So. Uh, let's read starting at verses 18, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verse 1. And by the way, at, ch- at verse 7 or verse 8, I am going to do some editorial help. Let's hope that works. Okay. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over that household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the valleys, perhaps we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive. And not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through. Ahab went in one direction by himself. Obadiah went in the other direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? Now starting here at verse 8, I'm going to read it. But I need to give some comments because there's so many pronouns that it might get confusing. So, and he, that's Elijah, answered him, it is I. Go tell your Lord. That means go tell Ahab. Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, that's Obadiah, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord, Ahab, has not sent to seek you. And when they would would say, he is not here, Ahab... Would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you, I know not where. And so, when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord? What I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we are mindful of our desperate need of you. Uh, In these ancient scriptures, Lord, we can relate to Obadiah's fear as we are in a room that is almost completely empty, speaking through a technology that I don't understand to people whom we love dearly and whom we miss, all of us longing for your presence, all of us longing for a return of shalom, all of us longing, even this very morning, that we might be filled with peace and good news as we face our fear. So will you attend to this message? Will you let it bring gospel light into the darkness that we are facing for your glory? Amen. A few summers ago, when we were traveling to General Assembly, my family and I went to the Smithsonian and we had to really like race through the Smithsonian Museum, the one we were the Historical Museum, and there was the presidential floor, and there was the, the paper that Roosevelt used when he made the statement from Pearl Harbor. Many do you all remember what he said? Everyone knows what he said. right? Um, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in history. That's what he wrote. But on that page, you see it scratched out, and he added the word infamy. Now, he's a great orator, and it makes much more sense, and those words ring in our ears even to this day. But why infamy? Why not just history? Both are correct. And the answer is, in addition to the fact that poetically, with oratorical skills, it maybe sounds better, infamy implies something. Infamy implies evil. There was a great evil in Japan coming and bombing America, Pearl Harbor, and he knew it. Now, it's interesting because I think if I were to ask everyone, all eight of you, what's the next most famous line Roosevelt spoke, not not time-wise, but just in his entire career, I think most of us would agree it was his famous 1933 inaugural statement, We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Do you hear the contrast? That's not true. That's not true. There was a nation in Japan planning to take out our Pacific fleet, maybe not yet in 1933, but the point is we have much to fear. And as we face the trials of our day, as we face the virus, as we face the news, the economic structures of our moment, possibly failing, we have fear. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is to say, don't worry, this will pass. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. No, we have something really big to fear. And that's the bad news, right? Because it's not just this virus, it's the next virus. It's the next economic structure. It's the fact that we have a virus in our own hearts of sin. It's, a fact, it's, it's the fact that the fall has infected the entire planet and really the entire universe. And our only hope is Jesus. So my prayer this morning as we look at this passage, we might find hope about Jesus, how he, I think, reveals himself in this text, how he would apply himself to our own lives. The only source of true peace is Jesus. It's not going to come with news of the decline. It's not going to come with the news that we can leave our homes. Though those will be momentary great things, True peace comes through Jesus. That's what we're gonna talk about. So three th- three things. Number one, we have reason to fear. Cheer up. There's reason to fear. Okay. In our story, we have Obadiah. Obadiah is a prophet, and he is in the household of Ahab. Now, I've already mentioned this in the in the intro, but Ahab has married Jezebel. It was an arranged marriage, you might remember from chapter 16. She brings like hundreds of prophets. Uh, to the God of Baal, obviously an idol, not a true God. And in the process of doing that, we find in our text, begins killing prophets of God. And so Obadiah fearfully does what he can. And one of the things he does is he apparently takes a hundred of these prophets and finds two different caves and puts them in there and then brings them food and water, which is fascinating because they're in the middle of a three-year drought, In fact, we find that our story picks up with them looking for grass to just feed horses and mules. So Obadiah is acting really like a priest, okay? In this midst of of great evil, he's sort of holding it together. It's really when Elijah shows up that that we see the exposing of the fact that there's fear, right? When Elijah shows up, Obadiah goes from, is it you to basically like, don't mess up what I have. Like I have, I'm holding on. I have it all together. It reminds me a little bit when I think of prophets. Uh, they're truth tellers, and often when they tell the truth, and in our case, Elijah is simply saying, "I'm here. Go get Ahab. We're gonna re- have a recon- You know, we're gonna have a coming of together." Uh, that's what often tips the scale for us. Is the is when truth comes. Remember the movie Liar Liar. I mean, I, I don't know, what is it about that movie where, just to remind you, uh, Jim Carrey is a, is a lawyer, is a father, he's now divorced, and he keeps missing engagements with his son. He's also a bad liar at his, as a lawyer, uh, which is very rare. Um, I'm sorry, come on, we need a laugh track. <laughs> we talked about inserting one. Uh, and then there's that famous moment where the son, makes a wish. I wish my dad couldn't lie for one day. And there's the plot, there's the movie. And we see Jim Carrey in these moments where he wants to lie but he can't. And just the one that sticks out in my mind is him walking into his office, already freaked out. And the, the receptionist has done something crazy to her hair. How do you like my hair? And he's like, it's horrible. Oh. And he grabs his mouth. And my favorite moment was uh, the, this, the secretary says, you got a phone call, one of your clients just dropped another ATM. And he grabs the phone and I can't say the exact language, but stop breaking the law. And then he adds something else. And in those moments, what we find is truth. Like it's ruining his life. His, his tightly woven world is starting to come apart as he has to tell the truth. And I think that's what prophets do. Prophets bring truth. And oftentimes when the truth comes, it, it seems to threaten our lives to be unwoven. Right? And it reveals this veil of deception that we all try to live behind. So point number one is there is a reason to fear. We are all living as if there's not. And it's moments like these that shine the spotlight on that fact. I remember Y2K did this. When Y2K was being talked about, I, we were coming back from Japan, so we were a little behind. That was 98, so we're back in 99. And all my prepper friends, and does everyone know what prepper is? My brother didn't know. Oklahomans know. Preppers are people who get ready for the apocalypse. They had all figured out how they were going to survive Y2K. But what we began to realize was one of the problems of Y2K that I think we're seeing even now is you begin to learn things you never knew. You begin to learn. how. I mean, I started researching how viruses work. Now, I think I kind of knew. But, I, I okay, so it goes in through a cell opening like an ACE2, and its RNA explodes, and I'm like studying viruses as a means to get control over this issue from my heart. And it's good to learn these things, but what I'm realizing when I do that is the world is complex, and there's so many things out there. And I live with a lot of denial to get through my day, and I think we, you, do, you do too. And I think what we're seeing is Obadiah was doing that. He was just trying to hold on And kind of keep Jezebel from trying to kill him, keep the prophets in the cave, get along with Ahab as they go looking for grass. And along comes Elijah, and he threatens to mess it up. I think we're all frightened. I think we're frightened because we don't have any margins right now. We're very thin. A business can't go a week or two weeks or a month without income. A family can't go a week or two weeks without income. We're hearing of people getting sick. We're hearing of, of, this, of this COVID-19 starting to, to spread. Some of us are getting just sick of cabin fever, like we're in the same room and, and we're starting to kind of get tired of each other and we can't just go and leave like we used to. There's plenty of ways we're seeing things unfold right before our very eyes. What do you do with your fear? What fears are you facing and what do you do with it? Um, I want to I say we're, we're right to be afraid. Uh, we are. We're right. The, we trust the experts. We believe that this pandemic exists. It's, it's wreaking havoc, and we are right to be afraid. But now I want to, as we move to point two, to say let's talk about how we deal with our fear by looking at Obadiah, because that's what I'm really struck by in this passage. Um, Obadiah is in point two, okay, how he deals with his fear. What's his fear? He has to go, Deal with Ahab. That's what Elijah says. Go to Ahab and tell him I'm here. And so Obadiah goes from like having fallen on his face to, uh, you know, kind of paying homage to Elijah to basically, I just envision him standing back up and saying, are you wanting to kill me? And there are two things he does that, with his fear that I think some of us do. Number one, he predicts doom. I think one of the things a lot of us are doing, whether it's this room and Facebook Live family or just friends across the, the world, we want to predict doom. We're taking a lot of the information and just running with it. Let's look at what Obadiah does. What he realizes is this. Here, there is a story he tells, and it's correct. It's true. And that story is, whenever Ahab would come to a place, a city, a town, a village, and he would ask, is Elijah here? If they said no, he said, you better swear an oath, and if I find that he was here, you're dead. That's, that's the backdrop. So what he concludes is, and by the way, pause, Elijah has this really annoying habit for the last three years of, of running, of being hidden, of hiding. So he has data that's really good. You hide and you disappear while we look for you. And Ahab threatens to kill people if they lie. And you're asking me to go find Ahab and tell him I found you, but I know when I come back, and here's where he predicts, he steps out of the bounds. The Spirit's going to take you I don't know where. Do you hear him say that? It's, a, it's almost tongue-in-cheek. It's almost humorous. And what he's doing is he's revealing, I don't trust you, Elijah. I don't trust God's goodness. I don't trust that everything's gonna be okay. I don't trust everything. So I'm gonna predict, the way I'm gonna get out ahead of my fear is I'm gonna predict the doom. Okay, that's one thing we do. Does anyone here struggle with that? I do. I was talking to my wife the other day and I kind of teased her, uh, she's walking down the hall. I teased her that, you know what you do Emily when there's this problem? You wanna do house projects. And then she said, yeah, you like Netflix and movies. Um, And she was correct. Uh, Normally there'd be a little laughter right then. I'm just gonna let you all know that. (laughs) I think you're in the camera stream. (laughs) Um, But then I started to pay attention to something else I do. And I've already alluded to it. I want all the facts. That's what I do. I wanna study viruses. I wanna read the best articles. I wanna get out ahead of this thing with my knowledge, with my head if I can read enough, if I can look at the websites that are showing the casualties and the infections enough, if I can bug my mother who's an epidemiologist in in Oklahoma City, if I can bug her enough, I'll get out ahead of it because I'm going to predict what's going to happen. The problem is there's always that missing data. What was Obadiah's missing data? He assumed Ahab would just disappear. He didn't really know and what, where's our missing data? We, we, there's lots of things we don't know, and we don't like that. So that's one way we deal with fear. We predict the doom. Secondly, we do this really, I think this is the most obvious thing we do, is we build our case. We, we say, here's why I don't think this should happen to me. You know, We're seeing that with this whole pandemic, by the way. Young people are like, I'm, from what I know, I'm fine. I'm going to go to the beach. You know, I'm going to go keep living life. I'm, I have my case. I know my health. How does Obadiah do that? Well, when you look at our passage, not only does he predict the doom of, of Elijah leaving and Ahab killing him, he then turns the corner and says, "Have you not heard like my good works? Have you not heard what i've done? Has no one told you elijah my, what i?" Oh yeah, maybe you don't know this. What I've done is see, I've taken a hundred poor little pitiful people and I've saved their lives. Don't you know this? And what's he doing? Justifying himself. I don't deserve this punishment. I don't deserve this issue. And so with fear, I think we do those two things. We, we, we either predict doom. We try to really bolster ourselves with our efforts. I've got enough toilet paper. I'm Okay. By the way, if any of you are hoarding toilet paper or in this room, let me know because we're getting low. I actually saw an article today on the toilet paper industry saying, we're making 20% more toilet paper than we've ever made before. It's not, there's no supply issue. And then the article went into how they make toilet paper. But again, it's a fascinating psychological, like why do people think if I have toilet paper, I won't get sick? What are the things we cling to? I really mean this. What are the things we cling to when we're afraid? What sort of past, you know, maybe I'm proud of my children. I'm proud of my career. I'm proud of my savings account. I'm proud of of how I've I've really planned and and made all the prep. Whatever it is, we, we, we look to the wrong things for protection. There's a third thing we do that isn't necessarily in our passage, but I'm going to tell you about it because I think we do this. I think we use religious jargon. Um, I have told the story before of being in seminary. Our finances were starting to become depleted, which happens a lot in seminary, uh, and really just crying out to God. And I think it was Emily who said, "But Jesus can calm the storm." And I wish I would have been able to say thank you. But what I get, I got kind of like mad because I thought, what if He doesn't want to calm the storm, right? What if He doesn't want to calm this storm? Somebody in our community may indeed not only get COVID-19, but may actually pass away from it. In fact, this very morning, I've had a conversation hearing that, a couple of conversations that it's actually possibly in our midst. Now, that could be rumors. We aren't for sure with the level of testing. But what I realized when we were in that conversation about Jesus calming the storm is that he was asleep on that boat. And he says, oh ye of little faith, and after studying that passage and meditating on it and talking with my wife about that that situation we were in, we both realized he was not saying, oh ye of little faith, don't you know I can calm the storms? What he was saying was, oh ye of little faith, don't you know that if this ship sinks and I'm on it, you're safe? I'm your Savior. And if we have the Savior, we're safe. And that's What I want to ask you as I move into our final point is how are you mitigating your fear? Are you grabbing toward religious jargon? Are you grabbing toward doomed prediction and using your intellect? Are you grabbing toward maybe actions you've taken or are taking now to save you? The only answer, the only cure, the only peace you have is Jesus. That's our third point, the secret to facing fear. One of the things the Bible does so well is it, it leaves you hanging sometimes, right? It, it doesn't give you all the answers. One of my favorite passages I've, I've preached on, uh, Peter and John 13, when Jesus is washing the feet, remember Peter's responses, you'll never wash my feet, okay, wash everything. But remember his final reply? It's a trick question, because there isn't one. All that happens is we, John goes silent And what we know in our imagination is Jesus washes his feet. And there's something profound and impactful about the silence. We have it in our very passage, right? After Obadiah gets done with his fear and his rant and all of his things, he's saying Elijah calmly looks at him and does not say, by the way, in verse 15, there's no, don't be afraid, Elijah, or excuse me, Obadiah, or there's no, you shouldn't have been afraid. There's none of that. His fear is understandable. simply said, Elijah says this in verse 15, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. And look at verse 16, the end of our story. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. There's the lack of, of description is dripping with peace. Obadiah felt such peace from what Elijah said. So that's where we're going to spend our time right now. What is it and what Elijah said that gave Obadiah such peace that he could go calmly to Ahab? I have a friend, um, and I, won't, I want to be careful. I don't know who's online and all that. So this friend of mine uh, is of Asian descent and is a facilitator of a counseling situation, and there was a moment where one of the participants, seemed a, a white male, seemed angry, and and this had been building, and and they were in the hallway, and the anger wasn't violent, it wasn't a threat of life, but it was enough of an intimidation factor that was really beginning to trigger some of her child, some of her younger emotions, and. One of her good friends, who's another uh, facilitator, who's a black man, who's uh, big and strong, just, she tells this story, in fact, she recently told it on Facebook, Uh, stands right in the way. And it wasn't mean, it wasn't harsh, it was very calm, and just not looking at her, looking at the person, and just saying, hey, and kind of calming the situation down. And she goes on to explain the peace that that gave her. And that's what Elijah is doing. Elijah is saying, look, Obadiah, here's the deal. Go get Ahab. Now, Ahab's not going to kill you until he gets back here. And when you get back here, I'll be right here. You get to get behind me. And I'm going to talk to Ahab for you. And I just, I see Obadiah just doing this with peace. Right? That's the gospel. That's what our Savior does, right? That's what Jesus does. Jesus has said, look, there is something to fear. It is so bad that the only way to heal it is if I die. And he came, and he lived a perfect life, and he died. And not only did he die, but he rose again. And the great doctrine of of the atonement and union with Christ, these doctrines that say we've been adopted, we've been atoned, we are in union with him, are are, our ways of understanding. He now stands before death, and we're behind him. We're those little guys going, what you got? Looking over his shoulder, and he's big, and he's strong, and he has it, right? You see this in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Ready? The Lord is at hand. Pause. In our passage, what does Elijah say? As the Lord lives before whom I stand. In other words, our Lord lives. He is here. So Paul's telling us in Philippians, as the Lord is at hand, Jesus, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. There it is. The peace of God, who is Jesus, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the guard of your heart. So my question, Grace Family, friends here, Grace Family local, Grace Family over internet, and Ryan Baker, my own heart, what am I hoping in? What's guarding my heart? I can confess that in these last days, I will turn on the news. I want to see the updates. I'll do so many things when I know what I really need is to run to the Lord. In prayer, not that I don't watch the news, but I can feel my heart wanting to eat. Do you feel that? It's wanting something. And so often I run to the wrong things. Um, I wanted to read this quote from Jack Miller. He says, your ability to live the Christian life depends on whether you believe in this big Jesus. And he's referring now to a Jesus who has died, who's risen again, and who's ascended to heaven and sent his spirit into our heart. He goes on, he has awesome power. Your perception of how big Jesus is will be how big your faith is. If your faith is scrawny, you have a poor understanding of who Jesus is. Don't think Jesus sends you somewhere he hasn't already gone. According to the Bible, every human must face death. Through Jesus, however, God's justice is satisfied, and those who believe in him are no longer under the penalty of death. Death now is the door through which the believer passes to enter into the presence of God. Know this with certainty. The stone is rolled away for you. The tomb is empty for you. Jesus died for you, and he rose for you. Christian, we have died and risen. The life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God. Right? We know from Isaiah, we've seen the words, Oh, death, where is your sting? It is gone in Christ. So we have this opportunity to join with the saints from all of time who have faced plagues, and disease. And I want to read the words many of you have already read from Martin Luther. Uh, actually, Dr. Smalley texted them freshly to me today, which was really poignant. I'm going to read his text. Luther wrote this Very well, by God's decree, the enemy has sent us poison. Therefore, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to become contained and thus infected and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs help, however, I shall not avoid place or person but we'll go freely. I think Luther's faith is the faith we all want, right? We're not doing this social distancing to protect me, though I don't want to get sick. I have asthma. I mean, I really, I have asthma. I know what it feels like to gasp for air, and when I see footage of people in Italy and in China and even in America gasping for air, I think to myself, Lord, I don't, I don't want that. It's okay to fear that. But as I come to Christ, I know this this body will waste away and my fear is not losing this body but my fear is that I'm not um, loving my neighbor well. And so the good news with our fear is we can run to Jesus, renew our faith in Him, do this through worship, through prayer, through all the ways we're seeing our, our fears rise up in this season and know that as I put in the in the email recently from the Heidelberg Catechism, that our life is not our own, but we are Christ's. Is that your hope? Is that where you're putting your hope and your faith and your trust? I hope is it. I hope it is, and I pray that it'll be this way uh, through this season. And I also pray that we will look back and think, "Wow, God delivered us. Wow, there were the, the doomsayers were wrong, but." We also know they may be correct, and we need to be ready for that. So let's pray that in the meantime, we will take this season to draw close to Jesus. Heavenly Father, what a time we live in. This very moment, Facebook is lit up with online uh, services. Lord, I'm talking to my dear brothers and sisters, uh, a few that are here to help us conduct this service, but the majority from their homes but Lord you are with them and you are with us and your gospel is true and this opportunity you've given us to freshly examine our hearts to see the idols to see the places we place our trust even really important good things like health like economics like toilet paper these are good things but they're not the ultimate thing you are So, Lord Jesus, let us once again come back to you, understanding that you are our Savior, our friend, our groom, our Father. Let us praise you. Amen. Okay.